Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we have my sister, April Ryan. She will be joining us for this episode. But before I get into our conversation with April, I wanted to talk about Ice Cube and the recent controversy stirring around his engagement of the Trump administration and his contract with Black America and Trump's platinum plan or whatever you call it. In case you missed it, we learned last week that Ice Cube had engaged with both presidential campaigns regarding his contract with Black America. The Biden campaign met with him and suggested that they further engage after the campaign. Uh, The Trump campaign, down in the polls everywhere and desperate not to look as obviously racist as they are, saw an opportunity to engage a notable Black celebrity around their so-called platinum plan, which is basically a set of things they could have done for Black people since they won in 2016, but they haven't and want you to believe they will do if they're reelected. What has ensued since we heard that Cube has been working with senior Trump advisors on the platinum plan was commentators across Black America criticizing Cube for allowing himself to be a prop for an administration that they believe is using him to signal to gullible Black men and white Trump supporters that they're not as racist as their rhetoric or supporters would suggest. And Cube has responded by taking Democrats and Black voters to task as pawns whose votes are taken for granted and extend it to a party that doesn't prioritize black issues. I'd recommend that everyone read Jamil Smith's interview with Ice Cube and Rolling Stone because his line of questions and Ice Cube's responses really get to the heart of this. So here's what I think. First, it's clear that Cube thinks that the Trump administration and the Republican Party are equally as problematic as the Democratic Party, and, you know, that simply ain't true. One in 1,000 black Americans have died from COVID all the while an obese president and Chris Christie have lived. Black Americans have disproportionately benefited from the Obamacare that Republicans and President Trump have consistently sought to eliminate. The Trump administration consistently zeroes out money for key social programs that black folks benefit from every year in the federal budget that congressional Democrats restore funding for. Republicans watch Americans get evicted, small businesses close, black votes be suppressed, and local governments go broke, and they do nothing, but they can confirm a Supreme Court nominee in a matter of weeks. Now, Democrats are far from perfect. You've heard it on this show many times over, but they're also not this bad. What Republicans will do is take credit for a bipartisan bill like the First Steps Act and bipartisan spending agreements around HBCUs and then lead you to believe that they have our best interest in mind. Republicans talked a good game on police reform, but stalled the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act that Democrats passed. Republicans won't even acknowledge that systemic racism and policing exists. So there's no equivalence between the parties and we should stop the both sides do the same thing bullshit because it's just not true. And if you weigh the evidence, it should be clear that Republicans are operating in bad faith. They'll give you an opportunity zone, but they'll also put Daniel Cameron on the short list for the Supreme Court. Second, as Cube's conversation with Black Futures Labs' Alicia Garza on the Roland Martin show makes clear, he hasn't done his homework in connecting with Black-led organizations who are already working on the issues he's outlined in his contract with Black America. Professionals who do this for a living are already doing this work, and they would benefit from someone like Cube supporting and lifting their work up. My hope is that he'll be a part of a broader coalition fighting for these issues where professionals are at the table to help 
make the contract with Black America a more credible document and a real blueprint for action. Lone wolf engagement with bad actors like the Trump administration will leave you getting played. Now, here's where I agree with Q. The Democratic Party has to not only engage directly with black men during campaigns, but when you win, you need to prioritize and deliver on policy. That looks like real policing reform. That looks like locking up cops who kill us. That looks like legalizing cannabis. That looks like appointing judges that are sympathetic to our values. That looks like being forceful and intentional about building black wealth, supporting black entrepreneurship, and not being so afraid of alienating white moderates that you run the risk of losing the loyal male block of the Democratic coalition. Make no mistake, compared to white men, Latino men, and Asian men, black men are the most loyal block of Democratic voters after black women. But we're an afterthought when it comes to governing, and that has to change. And if Ice Cube is any indication, I'd argue that he is, Democrats are already losing a lot of us. But this is fixable if Democrats commit to fixing it. Otherwise, Ice Cube and Diddy won't be the last notable black men to actively seek out alternatives to the Democratic Party. I'm interviewing my sister April because she is a pioneer in American journalism. No black reporter has had as much access as she's had to American presidents. We'll talk all about that. We all hope that the Trump years will be winding down soon, so we'll talk to April about covering Trump while black. We'll talk about what we think a Biden presidency will look like. And we'll talk about Cube, Diddy, and whether what we're seeing from them is what happens when Democrats fumble black men. Nobody has the kind of front row perspective on the presidency that April has. And I know you'll enjoy this episode as much as I did taping it. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. So, April Ryan, my homie, my my sister, my friend, my and I will be completely honest with you guys. My mentor, somebody who's been around the game for much longer than I have. Welcome to the Bakari Sellers Podcast, April. It's good to have you here. Oh, it's so wonderful to be here. I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. I've made it. Hi, Bakari. You, what's up? So now you've been covering White Houses for Urban Radio Network since 1997, but you've been in Black Radio for much longer. Walk us through the arc of your career from Morgan to when you became or when you began covering the White House for Urban Radio Networks. Talk to us about that entire arc. I love your cerebral approach to the arc of my career. So, <laughs> so, okay. So at Morgan State University, I was a freshman and I wanted to be in broadcasting, not knowing that I was going to be in news. And you hear my daughter in the back, she's singing. I got to tell her to chill out for Trust a Trust me. No, you're fine. Because <laughs> if anybody watches the Bakari Sellers podcast or listens, they know that Sadie and Stokely are always in the background. Oh, so you're, you're more than, you, you, are, you are all good. All right. 
So I started out in 1985 and my first program director at WEAA-FM in Baltimore was Kwaisi and Fume. Oh my goodness. Right. It's a small world. It's a small world. He was my first program director. He was also, uh, you know, we uh, know him as congressperson as well as the head of the former head of the NAACP. So he was my first program director. And I started out as a DJ, DJing between classes. And what was your DJ name? Was it April Ryan or did you have a? Yeah, it was April Ryan. And let me do something. W-E-A-A-F-M, Charday and Is It a Crime? I'm April Ryan at 1203. <laughs> Let's tune in to some news and some traffic. Bam, bam. So, you know, so, I mean, I, <laughs> it, it, it at the point was like, I was like, okay, but I said, I'm missing something. And Bakari, I come from a family that if we had the term back then, they were the news junkies on steroids by a thousand, my yeah. parents. And I came from a home where, you know, news and information and understanding the community and the moment that we were in was paramount, okay? My parents always talked to me about civil rights. I was born in 67. My father and mother, my mother marched in 1963. So, you know, I'm not far removed from the March on Washington, the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act. I was a few months old when Dr. King died. So... With that said, they understood the importance of information. We always had news in my home. And as I was a DJ, I kept saying something's missing. I fell back on to what I knew, information. I went from being a DJ, did that for a couple of years. And I did that for a couple of years. And then we went to producing a news program. Then I went to you know, doing news at a gospel station. I did news in Tennessee. I did news in Frederick, Maryland. Did news in Washington. I was an anchor, radio anchor, um, reporter. But I, all, I, I, I did the shift, the switch from being a DJ to um, news because it was, I guess, being a DJ wasn't foreign to me, but I went back to what I knew. And I remember my dad always watching the man who we didn't know what his politics was. He would tell us that's the way it was. Walter. Oh, Cronkite. my goodness. Yeah, well, that's yeah. the way it was. So I, I've learned so much about Walter Cronkite. And Tom Brokaw and Peter Jennings over the past. Dan Rather like, was, yeah. Dan Rather, I, yeah. I grew up on those kinds of people and the news that they would offer. It wasn't partisan. It was straight down the line. And I often asked my dad, Dad, why are you always watching news? So one day he gave me an explanation. Well, I want to see if the world comes to an end. He gave a young child that explanation. I should have run for the hills. Instead, I ran to it instead of running from it. And it feels like home to me. I've always been that person who was inquisitive, but always that person who wanted to know what was going on. And it wasn't about being nosy. It was about being newsy. So, and... Um, oh, wow, I like that. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah. So talk, well, for people who aren't familiar, what exactly is Urban Radio Networks? What is that? Tell, tell us what that is. American Urban Radio Networks is um, a radio network that has over 300 affiliates. And we, for over half a century have been uh, reporting on issues pertaining to black America. We've got a whole bunch of components. We've got web, we've got radio, we've got so many different components. And we focus primarily on urban America, news about urban America. 
We are the griot, if you will, from back in the day. We beat the drum in the Black community. We tell the stories before mainstream media gets the stories. See, mainstream media gets the stories with that crescendo moment, as we know. But we are always telling those stories. We were telling stories about water not being safe to drink a long time ago. We were telling stories about mm-hmm. policing a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And but it takes the mainstream media for that crescendo moment when it happens. But since we've been doing it, that's why they bring us in to sit on those tables and talk about it. Oh, look at you. So, you know, yeah. the power of black radio, and you know this better than anybody politically, is is second to none. Mm-hmm. And I talked to Steve Harvey about this a couple of weeks ago on the show, and he was disappointed in what he felt has been an underinvestment in black radio this cycle from Ooh. Democratic campaigns. So I don't want to get you in no type of trouble, but do you believe the Democratic campaigns this cycle have invested in black radio as much as they should have? Let's do not just Democratic campaigns. Let's do Republican campaigns. Let's do it all. Let's do it all. Because I believe that if they want the black vote, they need to come to the black vote. People listen, people, believe it or not, there are people who still listen to AM radio. Oh, I know. Trust me. I want a whole campaign running running ads on AM gospel radio. Why? Because I could afford it, too, because that's what super voters listen to. That's the base, the church base in AM radio. People who are grassroots, really on the ground, who really care about their community. It's a certain person who listens to AM, who won't go to satellite or FM because it's something about that AM. It's it's a grassroots person who is based in the community versus you can do a whole demographic on FM versus satellite versus AM, but all of it makes a difference. You know, AM is more, it's mostly an older crowd. It's mostly a settled and older crowd versus FM and satellite. You know, AM are those people who are going to go to the polls and vote. They speak up and vote. Yeah. And so, they're going to be poll workers. They're going to be, poll, they're going to do everything. How about that? How about that? It's, you know, and you can almost really kind of tell in any community what zip code they're in if they're listening yeah. to AM. So it's, it's sad that you can stereotype, not stereotype, but you can kind of predict where people are by what they listen to. And I think they are not doing themselves a service. Any of the candidates on any side by not investing in Black people. And this just is kind of synonymous with what they do to a certain extent with us in life. Let me ask you a question. Let me go back to something you said earlier. And I I, uh, I want to dig just a little deeper. It, it's Uh-oh. not on my questions that I'm asking you, but we had Abby Phillip on last, this this past week. And she's, she's writing a book on Jesse Jackson. Mm-hmm. And um, we talk about these luminaries that are not on this show. We talk in particular about luminaries that are not written about that much. Tell me about Kwaise and Fume's place in history. You talked about you working for him. You're from B-more, Baltimore, Baltimore. Baltimore? Baltimore. <laughs> you got New York slash. I don't know what it was. I just earned, <laughs> earned. I was. I saw an ad the other day that was like, earn, 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 earn. So look. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but look, tell me about Kwaise and Fume because he he seems to he has multiple lives oh, in yeah. multiple di- multiple. Di- you can't like whoever thought they were going to run Kwaise and Fume off. He's dedicated to black folk and he's still here. Talk to me a little bit about his place in our history, our culture. I mean, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on that. So Kwaise, he is a Baltimore legend. He is. He's not a unicorn, but he is one of those creatures in Baltimore who 
He says, I need you people flock to him. He is that homeboy who made good. He grew up in the hoodie hood, for real, in the heart of the hood. And he made good. Hopkins, Morgan, all of that. Kwaisi um, was a broadcaster, voice of the gods. You get on the phone, Kwaisi, it's like, oh my God, listen to that voice. It's not what he says, it's just that voice. It compels you. It's like, if you think of something like Barry White, how Barry White sang, Kwaisi speaks. And Kwaisi always has been a community activist. But I'm going to say something. The biggest story, beyond being my friend, beyond being the chair of the board of the the board of trustees at Morgan State University, beyond being my late mother's um, colleague, um, I call him a friend, but this friend has a specific place when it comes to voting. And let me just say, let me do one of the things, because in Twitter, everybody thought that Elijah Cummings' wife was going to win that race. And that race was not close at all. Because you know Baltimore, and I want that. That's what I want. That's what I'm getting at. So talk to. So so so. Let me say this. And that, right, I know Baltimore. Kwaisi is a legend because you would not know his name at all if he had not won that city council seat. When I came into his office, he hired me as a freshman. And typically, you don't hire freshmen to be on radio. You hire sophomores, but he did hire me, and he was running for the city council seat. Not city. No, he was running for the congressional seat, but. He was a city councilman at the time. If he had not won his city council seat, you wouldn't know his name. He won that city council seat by guess how many votes for Kari? Three. I have no idea. You hit it. The Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you always got to bet on the Trinity. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, right. And you bet well. He won by three votes. And that's telling you the importance of the vote. But because he's so entrenched in Baltimore, Baltimore... Is interesting. And I think about Elijah Cummings' pastor, Bishop Walter Scott Thomas, who said, April, he said, you know, Baltimore is the only city that I know where the word failure is built into our existence. Mm. And when you come from such humble beginnings and you do so well, we rally around you. So that's why Kwaisi's Baltimore through and through. Maya was married to Baltimore. Maya is a wonderful person, but she was married to Baltimore, not Baltimore. Do you understand what I'm saying? I hear you. It's a difference. It's a difference. I hear you. Let's talk. Let's talk about your book. Let's talk about your book, Under Fire. You know, last week uh, when we had uh, April, there's only one April, when we had Abby on, we talked about her experience covering the Trump White House. But you've been probably the most targeted black journalist by this president and conservative media. Yep. Talk about what it means for you to be under fire as a result of the Trump administration and conservative media targeting you. What does it mean? Um, it means my life has changed. It means I have residue of hate on me that I have to go to counseling to get off because my head is always on a swivel. By the way, I, counseling is good, but I know what that means because I, I, you know. We've all been through those moments on because of on CNN, but you're on the front lines of it. So let me say this. So, okay, so Bakari, yeah, counseling, I think counseling is great. It's just like someone, I could I consider someone like someone who wears glasses. You just got to refocus. You know, if you don't have glasses, you got to put glasses on to focus. I just needed to refocus. I've never had 
to worry about my life. I've never mm-hmm. had to worry about that of my children's life. I never had to worry about fleeing my home before because of bomb threats or because of people driving by wanting to do harm, sending me notes talking about they're going to do things to me. Mm-hmm. That would get to anyone. But think about this when the highest office in the land is coming for you and sends his minions and then you're on Fox News being a target when the press secretary points you out, numerous press secretaries point you out for the world to see. And my mother used to always say, it's not what they call you, but what you answer to. That's a saying she got from Dr. King. Well, it's not what they call me, but what I answer, I don't answer to it, but it still stings. Mm. So, um, yeah, and, and at this moment, it stings. And I am a journalist. I am not supposed to endorse. I don't endorse. I'm not supposed to say who I think or who I don't think should win. But I'm going to tell you one thing, who I won't be voting for, I think you already know. But on that same note, we, we'll get to Ice Cube in a minute. But how do you feel <laughs> But how do you feel when you see oh, black I, celebrities? I, I'm, about Ice Cube. I'm saying I, who I won't I, No, be no, no, I get you. Yet. I get you. But how do you feel when you see black celebrities engage in administration on black issues when you know just how terrorizing this administration has been and what this administration has done to make black lives like yours and countless others more difficult. How does that make you feel? So I'm going to say this to you. Ice Cube sought me out because he knew I was fair and I am fair. With all of that, I just told you that was to the side. I wanted to hear what Ice Cube had to say. Ever since they did this, Build Back Better. It's a ter- I don't between Lift Every Voice and Build Back Better. The alliteration on that bothers me. We gotta we gotta be more be, between Build Back Better, the Lift Every Voice, Defund Democrats um, are really oh, terrible with marketing. You're the one, you're the one <laughs> close to the um, potential VP. So anyway, um, <laughs> we gonna find better names. We gonna yeah, find yeah. better names. I love the substance, but we gonna find better names. Right, Go yeah, ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. So I kept that. And I'm like, I said, okay. So I kept it on my desk and I have, you know, the platinum plan somewhere. So he wanted to talk. This was before the platinum plan came out. And I said, okay, I didn't put my personal experience in it, but I wanted to hear, and America needed to hear what he had to say. And at that time I said, well, what is it? You know, what's the problem? What do you want? He said, I said, everything that you're saying they have, he said, I want more. Well, he didn't articulate what more is. And then after he met with the Biden camp and we hear that he met with the Trump camp, Biden's people said that they could not do anything until after. And and, and mind you, they overlap. It's the same thing. They couldn't do anything until after the election. They're not elected yet. Now the Trump campaign says, oh, we're going to put some, include some of your stuff. But they've had four years. Yeah. And now it's, and I'm like, I don't know. And I just think that at this point, I'm glad that I'm glad that Ice Cube and Diddy and everyone are concerned about the process. But at this point, they should have been talking before George Floyd's death. Man, there are so many people. There's so many Alicia Garza, uh, Rashad Robinson. I mean, uh, Quentin James, Stephanie Brown James. There's so many people the uh, Sherilyn Eiffel who've been doing the work. You know, who have been heavy lifting. The Congressional Black Caucus is now upset because they feel that many of them should have been talking to them as well to kind of shepherd it through. They are out there on well, Cube is out Some, there on his yeah. own. Yeah, yeah, Diddy yeah. is now Diddy is now saying, you know, he said he doesn't want to withhold the vote because it's important. 
We cannot withhold the vote. But Cube, he's out there on his own and he should have. There are so many people he could have touched and walked in because now he's standing out there on his own. And we don't know if this is about Trump or is this about not liking but it's it's a lot because i'm seeing I'm, or, if it, or I'm is it about or is it about the big three and the help you need to, to to salvage and get through that this episode is brought to you by atlassian atlassian software like jira confluence and trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great but together we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Businesses have had to be flexible this year, understatement of the day. From working remotely to pivoting their business models for long-term survival and growth. You know, restaurants are moving their dining outdoors and adding takeout and catering. I actually was with a Zimbabwean restaurant in Durham, North Carolina. It's the only one in the country talking about how they had to recover from COVID. Major retailers are now selling face masks. Things have just changed. If you're in charge of hiring for your business, these pivots have made your job even more challenging, especially if you have to hire for brand new roles. Thankfully, there's one place you can always count on to make your hiring faster and easier. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Bakari. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job boards with one click. Then ZipRecruiter's powerful technology finds people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. It's no wonder that four out of five, I think that's 80 percent, the lawyer in me tells me that is, Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within 24 hours the first day. See for yourself right now. You can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Bakari. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-A-K-A-R-I. 
Let ZipRecruiter take hiring off your plate so you can focus on growing your business. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Bakari. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Look, I want you to compare for me because this is a question that I won't be able to ask anybody else. Oh. Which is, you know, a couple of weeks away from an election. This is a, a really dope question that I can probably only ask you. It's a dope question. So say you, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So I want you to compare administrations for me that you've covered. So that's Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump, and how they've handled key black stakeholders and black issues. So I'm talking black media, groups like the CBC. How did each White House stack up, both in terms of black issues? but how it engaged Black stakeholders in our community and our community's trust. Okay, Donald Trump. That's a great question. You can't say that wasn't a good question, though. It's a dope question. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) (laughs) It's a dope question. Um, Donald Trump gets an F. Okay. And I say that, you know, he has met, you know, when the racial reckoning was happening, he met with Black people. Black conservatives, he created his own civil rights group instead of dealing with the traditional civil rights group, okay? Um, And the civil rights community said, no, I don't want to meet with him. Because, why? Because his words, his, his actions don't line up with someone who wants to help. When it came time to face the music about the lie, the, the, the narrative that they were telling about taking the knee, he had an opportunity to meet with Colin Kaepernick instead of calling the, the, the other football players who knelt SOBs. Yeah. He had a time. And then when I asked Mr. President, what do you, what do you understand? Do you understand what taking the knee means? He kept saying, it's just disrespectful. As the commander in chief, as the leader of the free world, yours is to unite, not divide. Try to find a way. I've seen other presidents bring people to the table when there is an issue. Now, um, what else? There's so much. The exonerated five. I asked him, Mr. President, remember that, McClain? I do remember that. Mr. President, would you apologize to them? He well, we said, know what his answer is. Okay, then, so you know. So, we don't have, so I mean, I could go on and on and on. And he's attacked Maxine Waters. He attacked Frederick, Congresswoman Frederica Wilson. She was in the car with Sergeant LaDavid Johnson's family when they tried to say that she was ear hustling. The sergeant at arms, not sergeant at arms, the um, master sergeant, excuse me, the master sergeant was in the car with the family as they were going to get the remains from the, from, from the military base or view the remains or meet the remains of Sergeant LaDavid Johnson. And the, the, the master sergeant put the phone on speaker for everyone to hear. They tried to say that Congresswoman Frederica Wilson was ear hustling and just tried to just diminish her. A grown-ass woman. Grown-ass woman. Who wears beautiful hats and talked about her hats. And they didn't even realize she was wearing her hats in memory of her grandmother. I know. But with, with Kamala, Simone, Cedric, Keisha Bottoms, and a Biden White House... Wait a minute, you didn't, I didn't finish, hold on for oh, you. Oh, well, finish, 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 finish. So, so Obama, CBC, still. Oh, yeah, had- we just we just stopped on Trump. I mean, but Man, I want. That's what I'm saying. That was, I that was, was like, oh, I, I'm tripping. But I want to hear Obama, but even more importantly, I want to hear Bush. Because okay, of- right. So 
The CBC were determined to hold this president accountable. You know, at the beginning, Obama allowed HBCU funding to sunset, but he tried to make it up. And, you know, at the end of the day, for Barack Obama, he did, he did pay the black farmers the monies after 17 to 20 years. I know. I would, you know, you don't know this, but true story. Uh, my firm was a part of the lead counsel of the really? National Black Farmers Lawsuit. It was one of my first cases coming out of law school. Did you realize said, I was the one asking that question for 20 years? Well, we, we, this was a team effort because $2.1 billion or one point. No, $1.3 billion or something like that. $1.3 billion. John Boyd, the National Farmers Association. John Boyd is one of the, you want to be on John Boyd's team. You do never want to be on the other side of him. I was there when he brought the mule struggle to the White House. He brought his John Deere tractor. And I was always asking. And that was at a time that they were saying we didn't have the money. And Barack Obama paid that. He, He fulfilled the promise of Bill Clinton. Okay. So I give him that. I mean, there's so many things that he did, but yet he could not do because just of the sheer nature of who he was, a black man being president of the United States, there was a political party uh, or a political organization that was formed, the Tea Party, just because of his rise to power. That tells you, and they were so against this man who was black. You had Mitch McConnell talking about he didn't want him, he wanted him to be a one-termer. You had uh, Rush Limbaugh talking about, I hope he fails. So he already had something against him. But one thing people don't realize is that the ACA, Obamacare, one in the same that Appalachia doesn't seem to understand, is that it was formulated primarily targeting us, people with underlying issues, people with pre-existing conditions to bring our kids on at 26. So, I mean, I could go on, but I give him leeway because of the unique nature. I give him a lot of leeway because of the unique nature of his rise to presidency. But I also hold him accountable, but I give him that because look at what happened. Because he became president, we have gone to a polar opposite of race and hate. So I give him more leeway now than I have ever. Mm-hmm. Now, George W. Bush. That's what I want to hear about. <laughs> George W. Bush. I knew him in a different way. Now, mind you, the three presidents, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama, I had a decent relationship with them. All of them said I was tough, but I was fair compared to this president. This president just completely hates me. And I don't, it doesn't matter um, because that's not what I'm there for. But George W. Bush, I'll never forget the fight between him and the late Julian Bond, NAACP. I remember the back and forth. And I kept asking questions, Mr. President, why won't you meet with the NAACP? It was once again... The White House, that Republican White House, trying to figure out because they knew that the black leadership didn't like him because, and this is what George W. Bush told me himself. He said, I know why black people don't like me because I'm a Republican, because of my dad, because I'm the governor of Texas, because of the, um, the death penalty cases. He went on and on. He regaled me. But I remember asking questions about NAACP and ultimately Julian Bond would used to call me and say, well, he's not. And I would ask because I kept hearing from Julian Bond and it made sense as we are communities still with the highest numbers of negatives in almost every category. I remember having conversations with George W. Bush and ultimately George W. Bush wound up going to the NAACP and Julian Bond greeted him. And I mean, there was some fear. You can pull up the, the Google search. Julian Bond was harsh. And that those are 
kind words. Julian Baum was harsh with him. He gets an F for Katrina. Anytime one person dies, you get an F. But the atrocity and how long it took for that place. The states' rights thing, I didn't get. Well, Ray Nagin contributed to that. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. No, I mean, I'm not saying that George Bush don't get no F. I'm just telling you. Right. No, 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 no. I understand the black man, Ray, Ray Nagin, but where is he now? He out of jail. Is he out of jail? Yeah, he just got out not long ago. The only, only, only reason I know that is because I just saw an article. He, he, he out. He free. Well, okay. So, but <laughs> nonetheless, Ray Nagin contributed. But if you see people hurting in, in chronic, remember when they were saying, oh, these refugees, we're not refugees in our own nah, country. Not in our own country. Not in our own country. You come and help us. Don't allow this to happen. And every time I go back to New Orleans and, and I'm in the Superdome or the convention center, I don't know. My spirit pays homage to those who lost their lives. It's an atrocity. But you know what? One thing I can say about him, he had heart. And his heart is... The same thing Donna Brazil says, too. It's the truth. I knew him in a different way than a lot of people did. I'll never forget flying on Air Force One and did an interview on the way landing into New Orleans for the anniversary. I forgot what year it was. And he said to me, he said, he said, you know, um, he said something about New Orleans. I said, you know what, Mr. President? I said, I would be remiss. I said, many of us always ride out a storm. I said, but... You and I have a friendly adversary relationship and we have a pretty good relationship. I said, but there before the grace of God go out, it could have been me. And he was like, huh. I wanted to put a face mm-hmm. on those people for him. But every day, it's a scab that will not heal for him. Katrina is a scab that won't heal for him. It will not. It will not. And people are, and you know, the crazy thing is people are waiting on him to come out and say something in this race. And I'm like, I don't know if that's going to help or hurt. I don't think he will say anything, but K- Katrina's going to be, and I think he realizes that Katrina's going to be something he has to die with. And and not only, but he really wanted to do something for Africa. He was the president who did more for Africa than, any than anybody b- before his time. Correct. Right. Bill Clinton even acknowledged that he, Bill Clinton helped him get the, the drugs because the, the price of these designer drugs for the issue, Bill Clinton helped him find a way to get HIV and malaria drugs at a, at a, that are not as expensive as the designer drugs for them to, to, to help. He created trading partnerships and all sorts of things. I saw his heart. It's not saying that he didn't, this things weren't wrong, but I saw his heart. And he regrets to this day. Every day he wonders, I'm sure, what could I have done differently? And, you know, and I'll never forget when he went to the grave site of Dr. King, he put that, the, the wreath on Dr. King's grave and he was so booed. He felt all of that. But he's now, we're starting to see the Bush now that I saw now that we didn't see then. You know, this Michelle Obama hugging and all this stuff. So, you know, he gets an ask for, for Katrina, but I believe that it's that albatross around his neck or that scab that won't heal. That It's a constant reminder. And I think he's trying to make up for it in various ways. And Bill Clinton, um, he brought more African-Americans to the table than any other. Than oh, any well, other. That, that actually is a natural segue to my next question. So go ahead. He brought more African-Americans to the table than any other president. Uh, George W. Bush had more African-Americans for a Republican presidency. 
But at issue is we didn't want just the window dressing. We wanted substance. There was substance. Um, He had a race initiative. He had the forethought to try to heal the racial divide as he saw that we were a nation's frowning. Look at where we are now. And the only thing that kind of derailed it was Monica Lewinsky on the scandal. The only thing that was a big thing. Um, yeah, you know, that wouldn't even that wouldn't even matter today. That's the crazy right. thing about it. I know, and and other stuff. You know, crime bill Rwanda. He oversaw some negatives, but an issue is I think it was the Times more so because you had some members of the CDC who supported, and I think once people started getting studies and understanding this is killing us, things change. So. Does he regret it? Yes. But in office, I mean, we got to remember, you know, we saw apartheid going and it took how long for us to say that's wrong? You know what I'm saying? So I believe it's the times that we're in and who support. It's just, I don't know. We, I think we have evolved to a better being and understanding we are not shackled anymore. We are shackleless. We're not, we're not going to be held down anymore. So what you just said about Bill Clinton is important because I want to talk about with Kamala, Simone, Cedric, maybe even Keisha Lance Bottoms in a Biden White House. You know, you have black agendas from this White House, a CBC that's as big as it's ever been, and hopefully a Senate Democratic majority that we believe we can get in terms of access and engagement and results on the issues that matter to us. Is this the most pro-black Washington that we've ever seen? Or could this be the most pro-black Washington we've ever seen? I'm getting trouble on here. You know, um, Washington is a white male-dominated town. And the White House is white male-dominated. Fact, fact check, true. <laughs> yeah, fact check, true. And Washington, and, and even the White House, even though President Obama was a black man, it's still it was still a white male-dominated fraternity. Now, Bill Clinton had... Jesse Jackson and Vernon Jordan as his kitchen cabinet members. You're talking pro-black. You had somebody from the Urban League, somebody from uh, Push. Rainbow Push. Yeah. yeah, somebody who marched with Dr. King. You had Alexis Herman. You had, I mean, a host of people there. Mignon Moore, um, Ben Johnson. You had a lot of people there. Bob Nash, you had a lot of people there. And his cabinet members. Now, that was a different day. We weren't as much like this then as we like <clears throat> right now. And Keisha Lance Bottoms, I'm going to tell you something. She doesn't take tea for the fever. I don't even know she took tea when she had COVID. That, she wears an S on her chest and an invisible cape every day. She's my soror too, so I got to give her that. <laughs> <laughs> um, she stands for truth and for people. Cedric Richmond, let me tell you something. I have never seen someone like Ann. He is amazing. These are people who understand the, the distinction of being who they are, the unique purchase that they send in, but they're still real to the people. They're still very grassroots. They're fighters who push hard no matter what. Simone, oh my gosh. <laughs> we love Simone. Now that's the homie right there now. She's still, she, people, don't, people don't understand how young Simone is either, and she's still grinding. Yeah, she's grinding and she she's at this level at that age. We're not giving out ages of women. But her future is so bright. And she's like, let me tell you something. When Simone tackled that woman who jumped up on that stage, I was like, go her. I was, was like, form tackle, form she, tackle. She got, she got, I said, oh my gosh. 
she not only lives it, but she believes it, and she is so into it. She's going to protect her. She's going to be the body man for her, 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 her candidate. That's how much these people believe in us and believe in the message of tomorrow, today, and tomorrow. They see and understand what's at stake. Um, I am just happy that there are people there who unapologetically black and unapologetically understand where they come from. They have experiences that many of us have. It's not, I sit on a lofty perch and I'm wearing my red bottoms and I look down at you. It's like, when I look down, I look down to lift you up. Amen to that. So, and that's, and you, let's talk about you, young man. Oh, uh, yeah, well, we got to talk about me on your IG live again. We, we come back to that. That You got that. Okay. I want everybody to know that April this Ryan has the hottest. Dynamo. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Oh, hey, April Ryan has the most dynamic IG live of anybody. She's cultivated these. Quarant- I mean, her and Tory Lanez probably had the best quarantine IG that you've <gasps> ever seen. I mean, the, her list of guests. I think you might even start it. I don't know if you started with them, but I paid attention to it when I saw you having Samuel L. Jackson and his wife on your IG. Was that your first one? I don't know if that was your first one. Not. First ones, yes, Samuel yeah, Jackson. I re- and I was like, oh, this is gonna be this is it right here. This is gonna be legit. And not only that, but you put them out so consistently, like they're no weeks off. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I did take when I went on vacation, I did t- take two weeks off. I've had, look, you had Hillary Clinton, right? Of course, yeah. And I had you had Hillary, Kamala? I I had Kamala, but I had Hillary and Bill. And oh, they I saw that. Yeah. I, now, Bill Clinton was funny. We were talking about how I got in trouble on CNN a couple months ago. CNN knew I was telling the truth. People were like, how dare you prognosticate what the president's going to do? I said, you know what's going to happen? President Trump is going to wind up, um, we, we, on January 20th, we're going to have a split screen. Joe Biden taking the oath of office. And then Donald Trump is going to be white knuckling or orange knuckling the resolute desk. And troops going to have to pull him out. And if somebody from some network that used to be on the network, how dare you prognosticate? And then a bunch of people from Fox joined in. And I was like, whatever. So, and then Bill Clinton said, yeah, he's going to put sandbags around it. People were like having a fit with what I said. And then Bill Clinton, you're going to put sandbags right. He was cracking up. And Hillary Clinton said, I told Joe Biden, do not concede. Do not concede. It was hilarious. And then now what is the president saying? I don't know about a piece of trash. Well, I may just leave the country. Don't leave. Don't leave. We need to make sure that he doesn't. I would be there to report it if he's walking out the door. I would put on a hazmat suit. Because he's got to face the music. There's going to be music. It's going to be music. And I don't know if he'll face it, but I'm pretty sure his children and Ivanka and everybody else. Why don't you think he'll face it? I I am interested to see if a department, if a Biden Department of Justice will charge a former president. I am absolutely certain they will charge (laughs) Eric, Donald, Ivanka, Steve Bannon. Oh, he's already Why not? This president has created atrocities to this nation. I hear you. Not only that, people are saying... Think of this. Think of this. this is did so you just say pe- people are saying? Did you just quote? I just said people are saying. Yes, I did. I don't need to qualify or quantify. Thank you very much because I'm for Ryan Bakari Sellers. So look, <laughs> so let me say this to you. If I say, if I say who says this kind of stuff, you don't want, I, I don't want it out. So anyway, so look at this. I was on, okay, let me put this this way. I was on a Zoom two days ago. And someone, I'm not going to say who it is, said, who works for a human rights organization. Someone asked me a question. They said, well, with all of this stuff with voting, can the UN get involved? We get involved everywhere else. 
We can't get out there and talk about other countries anymore and their human rights violations as we're dealing with the president in his words and people following his words going out to Kenosha, Wisconsin or going to Portland, Oregon. Human rights right there. We can't talk about other countries like China or anybody else, the third world countries, when they have that issue and also they are not free and fair elections in supposed democracies. So we are now challenging world standards and world rules. So if we are doing that and people are questioning why can't the UN come in on us, why would this president, he took the mint. Oh, he going. I'm not saying there's not going to be music to be faced, but uh, I'm interested to see what happened. Let me ask you this last question because actually, I got off the streets. I got like and 17 questions street. left for you, but I'm gonna I'm wrap up on this one, and we're gonna bring you back after this election. <laughs> I got to talk about my girl though. Um, you know, know, of course. What, in your opinion, is the highest and best use for a vice president Kamala Harris in a Biden White House, based on what you've seen? Because you've seen. Uh, You've seen Al Gore, you've seen Dick Cheney, you've seen uh, Mike Pence, you've seen Joe Biden. Joe Biden is uniquely a transformational and transcendent figure. Who would have ever thought that when they first uh, learned of Joe Biden being the vice president to the first black president, now ushering in a first black vice president? But based on what you've seen from previous White Houses that were effective and vice presidents that were effectively used, what's that look like in this moment? And what do you think someone as talented as Kamala Harris, what do you think her role should be? Um, Let me say this. First of all, you have been the biggest champion of Kamala Harris that I've ever seen. And I pray that I get to ask you questions in the White House. I'd be like, Mr. Sellers, I can't. (laughs) I'd be like, who? I'll meet you you at the bar. I'll meet you at the bar after this. (laughs) Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting when your friends shift, if you're in the White House with them, you've got to keep the professional demeanor on camera and then act like, so, so, so what's really going on? <laughs> so um, what's the biggest issue um, for Kamala Harris? First of all, the optics of this are, are important. That moment when they, I don't know if they planned how they walked, but that moment when they walked out on that stage after the announcement, it was Kamala Harris and they were in lockstep. That was showing you they are a one mind, one body, one thought. The optics are important. I see Kamala Harris as being the Joe Biden for Barack Obama. I see that. I see them before the campaigning, they were close. I, mm-hmm. Joe Biden told me himself how close they were. He told me that he and Bo supported her. He told me that they were friends. So they already had a foundation. So some of it is intrinsic about how they will work because they are friends and and the family was close. But for Kamala Harris, she is in a unique uh, pivotal point for America. This is a defining moment in this nation. We've had several moments, but because of the unique, unique nature of who she is, because she identifies as a black woman. Yes, she's Southeast Asian. She's also a black woman. Amen. And because of this racial reckoning, she recognizes she is a minority. And because of the unique nature of who she is, the legal side of her, she will be called on to be that transformational figure. At the very least, on issues of women and issues of race. She will be that one that he puts out there. Even Joe Biden will be there as well. 
But people are going to be looking at her because she, I believe, is part of that ticket, not just because of her strength, her power, who she is, but because we're at this moment in history that we cannot walk away from. He's, he's standing by this and he's still standing by naming also the first black woman to the U.S. Supreme Court. We know that. I hope Justice Breyer resigned in January. I think there's going to be some people. I think there's going to be some people that are on their way out. And, you know, we've already heard the name. We've heard various names. But one of the names that stands out, my line sister, not just my soul, my line sister, Sherlyn Eiffel. Sherlyn Eiffel stands out. Let me also talk to you about somebody else in in Washington, D.C. Danielle Holly Walker, who's the dean of the Howard Law School. I've heard about her as well. Uh, We need somebody, but we need somebody to fill the shoes of Thurgood Marshall that we don't have. We because we haven't had a we have not. This is this is this is only the I I would say this is the second time we went from Thurgood Marshall to Clarence Thomas. We went from Ruth Bader Ginsburg to Amy Coney. And that's what I'm saying. We need we have we have to have two for one. We have to have a Thurgood and a Justice Ginsburg in one. So. Who's on the front lines that we hear about? Sherlyn and Eiffel. We need somebody. I, think- I agree with that. I don't disagree with that at all. Sherlyn Eiffel, Michelle Childs out of South Carolina, Kentonji Brown-Jackson, Danielle Holly Walker, Sherry Beasley in North Carolina, all amazing women. And you know them so all. Guys, listen to this. When Bakari says that, I guess she got to take Because I was fighting Bakari for months. I know we you were. <laughs> we kind of strategize. We kind of make it line up. You know, it's like, but, but dog. Guys, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm this. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you what you know, what I know. So, but but nonetheless, listen to Bakari because um, he knows. Well, listen. Me. Well, we're going to listen to each other. I am so grateful that you came on my show. I love you with all my heart. Auntie, cousin, sister, friend. I'm going to tell you something. Don't ever go anywhere with Bakari Sellers because I like to get to places on time. They look at me like... Mm, oh, you be getting there early. No, nah, we got to be there. We, we got to <laughs> stroll in. A- <laughs> Y'all strolling like, hey, what's up? I'm already. Don't blame that on me, man. Blame, my, uh, blame that on Ellen. But anyway, I love you. Thank you for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast. Who is that? What's that hand in the side? Who is that? Oh, both my kids. Come here. Say hi. Say hi to Bakari Sellers. Uh-oh. Hey. Oh, wait a minute. This is the 18-year-old who's voting now. She actually took her ballot to the Board of Election Supervisors. And this is the 12-year-old who turns 13 on November 3rd. Oh, your mama loves y'all. If y'all can be half the celebrity y'all mama is and brilliant as she is, y'all going to be just fine. Look at that. Oh, I see it. I love y'all. Y'all be safe. Good to see you.